0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church, from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's good to see you this morning. If you want to grab a Bible, we're in, uh, where are we? We're in Matthew chapter 7, that's where we are. I know, I know where we are. Actually, I'm a little tired. My brain is just seems you ever have those days, you know, you're kind of you're walking in a mist, maybe in a fog. Am I in the matrix? Which pill do I take? I'm not sure. Anyways, it's good to have you guys here. It's good to see you. Hey, today we're gonna actually start a new series uh, entitled Formed. And the goal of this series is to ask the question, you know, what's forming us? We're created in the image of God to be formed into the likeness of God. And if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. Worship isn't something that we just do, it's who we are as human beings created in the image of God. And so there's things in our life that are forming us, they're shaping us. And often if you look at your attitudes, you look at your behaviors, you look at those anxieties, they'll teach you to some degree. If you can track them down to the foundation, it'll show you the things that you're setting your heart on. Things that are not stable enough to support the weight of your life, the weight of your identity, the weight of your purpose. And so today, what we're going to do is begin to look at what is God forming us into? What is the goal of the Christian faith? Because I think the goalposts can get moved sometimes. There's important things that we pursue as Christians, but they're not the main thing. And then we lose the main thing. And when we lose the main thing, everything starts to kind of fall apart. And so we're going to go to, to uh, Matthew chapter 7 and kind of jump into a passage that's a little scary, a little frightening what Jesus is describing, but I think it's gonna help us to really tap into the heart of what the Christian faith is about. So you guys ready? I hope so. I think I'm ready. I gotta be ready. I'm up here. So let's, let's do it. It's Matthew chapter seven, verse, verse 21. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. The word of the Lord. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew against the house and it fell, and a great and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, pray for me, let me pray for you, Father. Just want to take a deep breath and recognize that you're with us as we begin 2024. Your promise is you'll never leave us or forsake us. And that means, Father, we take you with us in the good moments and you are right beside us in the hard moments. Your promise is that the one who began this work in us is faithful to complete it. But Father, help us to know and help us to see the vision of what you want us to be like. What are we chasing after? Show us our desires, our wishes, our dreams, how our identity and purpose can be centered on you. Teach us this morning, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to introduce you to a word. I don't know if you've seen this word. You can put it up on the screen. It is the word deconstruction. Have you heard that term in the last few years? You know, in the Christian realm, there's a lot of talk around deconstructing my faith. And people will say, I'm deconstructing my faith. And some of that sounds... Uh, harmful and foolish, and some of it actually can be helpful and corrective. Now, there's a a foolish aspect to it, deconstructing my faith, in which I'm tearing down the structure of my faith. I'm tearing down the core of Christianity. I'm tearing down the authority of Scripture, and that's not the direction we're going to go. There's another form of deconstruction, which is evaluating my faith. It's asking the question, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? And what does the Word of God say? And how am I actually living my life out in the world? And one of the reasons this word has become so popular is people have looked at the church. They've seen the way that we've engaged in the world and they're saying, okay, if that is Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Have you run into that? Storyline. Some people are looking at the church, the way that we're engaging, and they're going, okay, if that's what Christianity is about, I need to evaluate what I believe because they're seeing an inconsistency maybe or they need to test and, and really jump into what is at the heart of the Christian faith. And Jesus did this kind of healthy deconstruction. Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, this is what you think you believe, but here's, here's rather what God is after. And Jesus would tear down aspects of religion. He actually tore down the religion of the Pharisees. He saw where power, he saw where religiosity and just kind of moral obedience was the goal of their hearts, and Jesus began to tear that down to show them the true intent and heart of God. Jesus tore down false teaching to build up, to build up the church, And and one of our goals over the next few weeks is really to press in and what is at the heart of the Christian faith? What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Because the church, and us as well, we're always in need of reform. The church never arrives. We're always going to have that inconsistency between what scripture says and the way that we engage. And so we constantly need to be renewed and reformed. And that's true for the church, but that's also true for us. It's easy for us to set up the wrong goalpost, to, to kind of move in the wrong direction, instead of getting our eyes centered on Jesus and what he's calling us to as, as believers. I heard one author say it this way Jesus deconstructs bad teaching in order to reconstruct good teaching. And so, what is the goal of the Christian faith? I think this is a good place for us to start in 2024 to ask the question you know, how are we doing? How we doing? You don't have to answer that, it's okay. (laughs) Because some of you are like, not well. (laughs) But I made it here, and that's good. How's the church doing? And how do we look in comparison to what Jesus describes, or what the word describes? And how does my life align with that? And then sometimes in that inconsistency, we really can get hard on ourselves. There's nobody who's harder on ourselves than ourselves, and so where are we in that and how can we kind of realign ourselves with what Christ wants for us? You know, growing up there was a version of the gospel that in some ways was helpful, but in other ways it it clouded my vision on what Christianity and following Christ was about. And I wonder if this is true for you. And, and I'm gonna make some generalizations, it may not apply to everyone, and that's okay, but it definitely applies to me. And here's the gospel that I heard. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. And if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Now, is, does anyone else, is that the gospel you heard and came? It's okay if he did. I did. God used that in my life. And I'm grateful for that. God used that message in my life. That's the Romans Road, that's the four spiritual laws that God has this wonderful plan for my life, but I am a sinner in need of forgiveness, and that's true, and Jesus died on the cross, and the reason he died is through faith in Jesus, I'm gonna go to heaven, I'm not gonna be judged, rather I'm gonna have eternal life, and that's the message we hear. The challenge with that message is not that there isn't truth in it, it's incomplete. Because if that's the message of the gospel you take into your life, then I'm good. I'm good, guys. I believe in Jesus, he died for my sins, he rose again, I'm going to heaven, okay, it's it, that's it. And so the goal of the Christian life is just maybe a little evangelism and clean up your life so that people actually think you're a Christian. Do do you see that? And that's what the Christian life is. You gotta tell people about Jesus and then don't have too much sin in your life so that people actually believe you might follow Jesus. And a lot of churches structure their services around that kind of gospel. The goal of the Christian life is to get people to church. Get them to the professional up front, right? Get them to that guy, that guy will convert them and then we'll, kinda, we'll have more people in heaven. And listen, I'm not criticizing that message and I'm not criticizing that, those that organize themselves that way because often people that lead those kind of churches, that's the gift they have, they're evangelists. And when you have an evangelist, everything in that ministry gets organized around evangelism and that powerful gift. But what I'm suggesting is for us and certainly for me as a young Christian, that message was incomplete. Because in the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot more about who you're becoming than where you're going. Jesus is much more concerned with who you're becoming and how you're living today than when you're, where you're going tomorrow. And why is that? Why does who we're becoming and how we're living matter? Because that reveals actually what we're worshiping. And at the heart of Jesus is what are you worshiping? What are you being formed into? Who are you becoming? Are we being formed and shaped by the world? Or just my own desires and my own interests? Are we being formed and shaped by Jesus? You know, as disciples, one of the aspects what we're talking about is really just discipleship And one of the realities of discipleship is it's just a continuous process. You could define discipleship as a uh, continually submitting my life under the authority and empowering presence of Jesus Christ. Discipleship's about submitting. It's a constant process, right? I gotta constantly come back and submit areas of my life under God's authority. He's Lord, I'm not. I need to surrender to you. And then empowering presence as I submit to him, he begins to work on me, he begins, he begins to change me. And I think the challenge when it comes to the gospel that we believe Jesus died, therefore I'm going to heaven, what it often does, the emphasis, puts the emphasis on the wrong things and therefore that leads to the kind of life that we lead. That Jesus isn't about life today, he's just about life tomorrow. And when we get to Matthew chapter seven, we don't know what to do with passages like this. And often what we do is just kind of erase them. You know, that doesn't apply to me because I prayed that prayer. And so I'm good. I'm going to heaven. So I don't really need to pay attention to when, to what he's saying. Does that make sense? You guys kind of tracking with where we're going? I hope so. This is something that I've wrestled with in my 25 years of ministry. So let's jump back into Matthew seven and begin to unpack this a little bit. So listen to these words. He says, not everyone who says to me, so this is on the last day, the final day we appear before God. And he says, not everyone will say to me, or yeah, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those, notice, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are strong words. That there are those who have done great things in the name of Jesus. And he's acknowledging that. You did it in my name. And so I imagine with a degree of sincerity, but there was something something that was missing. And they hear those words, depart from me. It's kind of a frightening. What do we do with that? How does the gospel that we believe in, how does it, is this good, is there good news here? And you notice the one who isn't going to depart from him is the one, did you notice, not who prayed a prayer, right? But the one who does the will of my Father is the one who belongs to me. Now, the question we got to ask, ready for this, is what's the will of God's, of the Father? That's kind of important. If that's the one that's going to stick with Jesus, then I want to know what is, the will of the father well you need to realize this passage is the conclusion to the sermon on the mount and so he's coming to the conclusion and he's illustrating that so the will of the father is in the sermon on the mount because when you get to the conclusion you're emphasizing what you just taught so what i want to do is let's rewind let's go back to chapter 5 and we're going to kind of scan through this and we should see the will what is the will of the father in the sermon on the mount And I think what we find is the will of the Father is a kind of life, a life that is being formed and directed by worship of Jesus Christ. And so, go back to chapter 5 and verse 3, and he starts off with the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And who are the poor in spirit? They're the ones who see themselves rightly, because they see God rightly and they know they have a need. And they recognize their sinfulness, they recognize God's holiness, and and they see their condition, they know who they are. They're poor in spirit, they're limited. But then he goes on as blessed are the merciful. And if the poor in spirit are those who see themselves rightly, the merciful are those who see others rightly. Because when you see yourself rightly before God, and you know your need of forgiveness and grace, how are you gonna approach others? You're gonna approach others with the same kind of mercy and grace and forgiveness that God has approached you. This is the will of the Father. And then as you begin to go through the Sermon on the Mount, you start discovering what Jesus is talking about is not just behavior, he's talking about worship. He says that those who are part, who do the will of the Father, they root out sin in their life. Not just behaviors, right, not just do not murder, I think I got that covered. You guys in? I hope so. It's okay. If you're not, you're welcome. <laughs> the church of murderers, it's all right. Or adulterers. What's he after? Hey, what's going on? In the, what are you worshiping? What are you setting your heart on? And do we root that out in our lives? Are we aware of what's coming into our hearts, into our minds, that's forming us and saying, I got to have this. And then do I do a process of discipleship? I gotta have this, right? We all feel that. We all have those desires. And he's, I gotta have this. Well, am I willing to surrender and submit that under God's authority and empowering presence? And then he, he just continues to go on. He goes from the Beatitudes. And then he says, we are salt and light. And he, he says, you know, those who do the will of the Father, they keep their word. They let their yes be yes and their no, no. And when somebody does something against them, they don't retaliate. I mean, that's hard. They don't condemn people who condemn them. Instead, they overcome evil with good. That's heavy, right? Love your neighbors. He goes on and says, you know, you're going to love your neighbors, but not just your neighbors. What if your neighbor happens to be your enemy? Those who hate you and persecute you? I want you to pray for them. I want you to love them. And then he goes on, talks about the needy, and he he talks about giving and not doing your righteousness before others, right? To be seen, hey, I'm the good Christian right here. Look at me give, look at me love. No, he says, instead we do it in secret because we wanna do it for the love of our Father, for the pleasure of who he is. And they don't store up treasures on earth, but rather they're not overcome by worry and anxiety. How many of us, right? I think we can be honest, we're, the world's an anxious place. And if I'm just receiving the messages of the world and I'm gonna say I don't have enough, I'm not enough, but Jesus says, no, I want you to look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And I want you to know that the Father who created all things cares for them. How much more does he care for you? And what is he getting at through all of this? What the Sermon on the Mount is, is a reflection of somebody that knows Jesus and somebody who's being formed by Jesus. If somebody comes to you and says, I know Jason. You go, oh yeah, you do? Great, I know him too. He hates the Red Sox. Uh, Some of you know that I love the Red Sox, good. So you know me. He's born in Thailand, right? He loves cave diving. I don't know. I I hate cramped spaces. If someone said that to you, you'd need to question whether they, they know me. The Sermon on the Mount is a life that's lived that knows Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be formed by Jesus. You know the Ten Commandments when they were given? They were given after the people were rescued. So God didn't say to them, hey, obey these commands and then I'll rescue you. Instead, when they were rescued, they came out into the wilderness and God gave them these commands as if to say, this is what a rescued people look like. This is what a people who know me look like and the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what a rescued, redeemed, Jesus-centered people look like and now we're not gonna always get that right, right? But those who do the will of the Father wanna be formed by the Father. They want their hearts to be in line with the Father. They see the beauty of Jesus and they want the beauty of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus to form and shape their life. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what that looks like. And it's the good news of the life that Jesus has called us to live. Cause it's a life, it's a life that leads to flourishing. That we're becoming fully human because we're coming, becoming more like Jesus. Now what we're gonna see is this theme of becoming like Christ is throughout the New Testament. And so for example, we can turn to uh, Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one, this is what Paul says. And notice the language that he uses, we proclaim him. So we share the gospel, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. For what purpose? So they might pray a prayer or they might have a destination. Instead, he goes on and he says that we may present everybody mature in Christ. What's the goal? The goal of the gospel is to be presented mature in Christ that Jesus would form and reform and transform my life that I begin to look more and more like him. And then Galatians 4.19, see this same theme. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. That sounds pretty painful. But that's his love for the church until Christ is formed in you. I want you to be formed into the likeness, into the image, into the heart of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, notice, what I'm I'm calling you into is freedom. Now, where does that freedom come from? We with unveiled face, meaning we can now look upon the presence of God, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So here's that word, we're being changed, we're being formed into the same image, meaning the image of Christ. From one degree, did you notice how fast change is? One degree of glory, to another. Change in the Christian life is from one degree. Now, one degree today doesn't seem like much, does it? 10 years from now, you have no idea the kind of human being, the kind of person you'll be as God begins to work and to change us. We're changed into the likeness of Christ. James says the same idea. Let's leave Paul behind, let's go to James. James chapter two, verse two, or James chapter one, verse two. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. And why? What do the hardships of life bring into our life? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness must have its full effect. Why? So that we might be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. See, disciples of Jesus are disciples of Jesus. It's not the destination, it's the person. And the goal of the gospel is Jesus. The goal of the gospel is God. The goal of the gospel is that I have God today. And I can walk with him today and I can surrender my life to him and as I do, he begins to form and shape me. That's the one that does the will of my father, is the one who wants to be changed and reformed and changed by the power of God. That's the picture. Is that our desire? it's okay if it's not, we can, that's a good place to start, actually, to recognize where you are. Is that our desire? And, and then let me ask, are you aware of the things that are really forming us? The passions and needs and desires. Are we, are we kind of just pushing Jesus' word out and the authority of it and saying, hey, hey that's not for me. I, I know that's for those really devoted Christians, but that's not for me. I'm gonna follow my own path, my own identity, my own purpose. Are we willing to surrender that to him? Because the goal of the gospel is God. What heaven is about is the presence of God. And if you don't want God today, you're not gonna want God for eternity. Are we a people who are allowing God to form us and changes, and then what happens is, in the rest, if we go back to Matthew 7, he starts with those really strong words, but there's actually three paragraphs that are all saying the same thing. The first one starts with fruit, good fruit, bad fruit. Next one, people that know him, people that don't. And then finally, he uses this parable of these two, two men that are building a house. And watch this, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall. Because it had its, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So again, this is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. What's the goal of the message? Well, there's two guys. They're both building a house. I think the house represents a life. And they're both choosing a foundation. And they're both going to face a storm. And the storm's going to come at you with equal force, right? So there's a lot of similarities. What's the one difference? The one difference. Verse 24. One hears, I mean, they both hear, that's a similarity, but one actually takes those words and applies them. There's this foolish notion in evangelicalism that you can have this vague belief in Jesus, but no life following Jesus, and that's called Christianity. You with me on that? You can have this vague belief in who Jesus is, but no pursuit of Jesus, and, and that's that's. That's good enough. Now, listen, let me say this to you. We're saved by grace, and God is so incredibly gracious and merciful towards us that when we step towards him, he runs towards us. Okay, salvation is by grace. Understand that. But when you've moved toward Jesus and you've given your life over to him, his desire for you, his passion, his anger for you is that you would be transformed into his likeness. And he's not going to leave you there. And if you want that salvation in Jesus, then you need to find the life of Jesus is the life of freedom. It's how you're designed. And and realize this, this reality, anything that's forming you right now that's not from God, it's deforming you. Meaning you're becoming less and less human. I need me some comfort in life. I told you guys I'm trying to do a media fast. Okay, this week wasn't great. I gotta tell you, you know, I, I, it, it just pulled me. And, and I, I did watch some media. I'm confessing, it's okay, I failed. But this week, I'm gonna go back to it. Why? Because I realized there are things in life I escape to, but you know what comfort's gonna do to me? It's gonna be, make me less and less human, it's gonna deform me, I'm gonna become more and more wicked, more and more thin, then when I press into Jesus, I become more and more human, I become more and more real, I become more and more like Jesus. What are you allowing to kinda of get in there, to escape life? Cause did you notice James said that hardships of life, they're not there, they're not there to cause you to suffer but rather we can respond to the hardships in life in a way that actually transforms us and changes us over time that we become more and more like like Christ. That's the goal of the Christian faith. What are we being formed, formed into? Let me look at this. Let's end with Matthew chapter 11. Listen to the words of Jesus. You probably heard this Passage many times, but I want you to notice where he says rest and freedom is found. Matthew 11, verse 28. And Jesus' invitation to us, right, is come to me. All who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now, where is rest found? You notice, take my yoke. No, a yoke sounds like a burden, doesn't it? I mean, a yoke is something you put on an animal to pull a cart. And he's saying, I want you to take my yoke upon you. Now in the first century, a yoke was a set of teaching. I don't know if you realize that. A rabbi had a yoke. And when you wanted to be like the rabbi, you would follow that rabbi and you would take his way of understanding the Old Testament and you would put it on yourself. And he's saying, when you take myself, when you take my teaching, when you take the Sermon on the Mount you put it on yourself and you rest in me, it brings rest for your soul. Why? Because this is the life you're designed for. And maybe the reason we are so anxious is because we're trying to run after things we're not designed for. And they don't bring life. But they rather deform us and make us less and less human. But when we run back to Jesus and we allow him to forgive us and restore us and renew us, it brings brings life. Because the church is supposed to be a people who show up in the world like Jesus shows up in the world. Right? And we're not gonna get that right, guys, all the time. And that's part of the goodness of that. The goodness is that we're not rejected because we don't get it right, but the world sees that we're imperfect just like they're imperfect and we don't have a pride around our goodness, but rather we know our goodness isn't from me, it's from Jesus, and so we direct the world back to our source of beauty and strength and power, which is Christ. And we can say to the world, hey, I'm not there yet. But the one who began this work, He is faithful to complete it. And though I have failed Him over and over, He continues to chase after me and love me and sacrifice for me. This is, this is the heartbeat of my life. As we move into 2024, what, what do you want to form you? Because we're going to get into an election year. Hold on. And there's a lot of forming. I gotta tell you, the last time we went through an election, there's a lot of foremen that was happening because there's a lot of fears that come up, don't they? A lot of anger. And we start showing up in the world in ways that don't reflect Jesus. As we move into this year, what's gonna form you? And one of the things we gotta get into is the word of God. You gotta get into scripture, guys. I, I know you made this commitment last year. Let's do it again, okay? Can you go to that last slide, guys? A couple of resources. One is the Bible in a year. This is what I use. Now, this is because uh, I'm an auditory learner and I like podcasts. And what I will do is this guy will read it to me. There's a prayer at the beginning. There's a prayer at the end. It takes you through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. And you simply listen. I pull the Bible up. I like to see it and hear it. And we need to find a pattern of getting into the word. Another one is Lectio 365. That's something I use and what it does is it teaches you how to meditate on Scripture. It's based on this ancient practice called Lectio Divina, which is a practice of taking Scripture and meditating and thinking upon it and praying it out. And if you don't have resources, I mean, there is so much stuff like this, guys, available, apps that are available to you jump into something. And when you don't understand it, understand you're, you're not there to fully understand the words. Sometimes you don't. There's times I'm reading, I'm like, what in the, well, I don't, the goal is I'm meeting with God. He meets with me as I, I get into His Word. And the final resource is the U Version Bible app. If you go on the U Version Bible app right now, we have an events section. If you go there and you go to, there's kind of like a, a menu drop down, and you go to events, all the notes for Sunday morning are available there. All these resources are available there. And on the Version Bible app, you can find a reading plan that works for you. It could be for one week. Maybe that's what I got right now. And that's okay. Are we being formed into the likeness of Christ? And that's hopefully what we can do together. In the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack what that looks like. So I hope you'll stick with us. But this morning, we're gonna uh, conclude by celebrating communion together. It's an opportunity for us, really, not to just add something on to the end, but rather reflect on Where salvation comes from. That we're rescued through the death of Jesus. Our our Messiah had to die for us. You recognize that? Do you know the kind of humility that should produce in us? But also the kind of honesty it should produce that I don't need to hide my failures or my faults because the one who knows me completely sacrificed and loves me completely and gave his life for me. So as we come into this time of prayer, we want to open our lives to God. He already knows us, Right? He sees your anxieties. He sees our fears. We need to acknowledge that before God. And then are you courageous enough to acknowledge that before men? You know, that's where our faith really shows up is when we take our commitments and we make them public. We say, I wanna follow Christ. And in 2023, guys, you need someone in your life You say, this is what tripped me up, Netflix, right? Maybe just for me. I need your help I am, I, I'm passionate enough for Christ that I need your help is there someone in your life because if you don't share that with somebody it's just in your mind and it's going to be out of your mind and life's going to go on you need people in your life who can hold that with you and so as we hold these elements together maybe you can ask the Lord what do I need to set aside as we move into 2024 and what do I need to pick up as we follow Christ together Let's, and if you didn't grab the elements guys go ahead and grab them sorry I didn't tell you that did I tell you that? no I didn't tell you they're available in the back and also up front and then we'll, we'll share communion together.